0: But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. The scripture that was read is taken from Matthew chapter 12, verse 14 through 16. And the text that I, I want to pay a particular attention to is the statement made when when Jesus finished his healing that it says he healed them all so there weren't there were no exceptions to the healing power of Jesus and in that in talking about the healing power of Jesus we have to be drawn to a miracle now I've, we begin this by saying that the coronavirus is going to be taken care of by God now we don't believe that he's going to perform a miracle. We don't rule it out. But at the same time, we believe that God is working through good people in good things in his great goodness. And that through their efforts, they will eventually bring us to a point where we can be safe and the disease will be controlled. And that's through the, the good things, the good part of man, that God has inculcated in all of us. But now I want to talk about miracles. We know what a miracle is. Sometimes we, we're not sure. To give you a definition of a miracle may be difficult. But we know, basically, that its is, it, it is the sudden intervention of God into a situation that He controls completely. When we talk about miracles, we talk about basically what people think that God is going to do outside the realm of our experience. And we know what they are. I want to talk about the miracles of Jesus because since about the 18th or 19th century in this country uh, the miracles have been questioned. People have waited 18 to 1900 years to finally say maybe what Jesus did was not really a miracle. And so they've questioned it. The point I'm making is that people understood that what Jesus was doing was a miracle. that, And what he did is so far different from what people, charlatans if you will, and frauds think that they can do. After World War II, in this country, there was a flood of influx of soldiers and people who had been involved in the war effort coming back to a peacetime country and actually flooding the churches, making good on promises maybe that they'd made while they were under duress. But churches thrived after World War II. And as a result of that, there were also another element in society that was thriving, and that was the charlatans, Charlatans who believed that they could commit, they, they could perform miracles. And so they, they began to establish such efforts, erecting huge tents like Barnum and Bailey, touring the country, contending that they could heal people in the name of Jesus, performing miracles. Uh, Ellen G. White with the Seventh-day Adventist had started it herself and doing the same thing. And then then there was the uh, the Christian Science Monitor people that were doing some of the same things. And then there was Oral Roberts. Uh, he toured the country in, in a tent. A.A. A. Allen touted that he had the largest tent in the world. And I actually attended one of his meetings where he contended that he was healing people that he was performing miracles. Now I didn't bring all that up to bring these people under scrutiny. What I did was to do that for was to show you the difference in a genuine miracle and a fraud. Now, these miracle workers, and there are others that have arisen on uh, foreign soil, Europe and so forth, that have made the same uh, claims that they could heal, or that Jesus was healing through them, and doing wonderful things. Now there's a there was a there's a, dis, a distinct difference between what Jesus did and what these individuals were doing, and the main difference is that people didn't always buy into what these charlatans were doing. They were questioned, and they were observed, and they were examined. And they were exposed. People found out that the claims that were being made by so-called miracle workers of the, of the uh, stripe that we're talking about, they were finding out that they were not actually miracles. People did not believe them. And therefore, they were held up under a, under a microscope for examination. Now, that's different than the miracles of Jesus. Jesus. The miracles of Jesus were never questioned for 1,800 years. Do you know why? Well, someone says, because they were sheep herders and basket weavers, and they didn't have sense enough to question what Jesus was doing. Now, that's, that's the height of arrogance, I think. We're not the smartest people on earth when it comes to common sense. I think that's a, a, an agreeable axiom. These people had as much common sense as we do. For instance, when Jesus fed the 5,000 in Matthew 14, seven loaves and two little fishes, he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Now, the question is, did anybody ever question whether or not he did that? Now, the writer said he did it. And when they wrote these accounts, Matthew wrote these accounts, he was writing these accounts during a time when there were people who could have said, hey, I was there. I saw that. I I ate one of those fish. I had some of that bread. No one, my friend, ever questioned the fact that he did it. Well, he fed 4,000 with a a few loaves and a few little fishes and he set them down in fifties and he took the apostles and said okay you hand out the food well it wouldn't have taken too many people before the food would be gone there were twelve men and they were to divide five fishes and, and five loaves and two fishes it wouldn't be long before it was gone but it was not gone and people ate well maybe they were they were deluded. someone said maybe maybe they maybe he he hypnotized them, maybe they didn 't know what was going on. why didn 't someone stand up and question whether or not he was actually feeding these people? They knew they were being fed, even the kids knew they were being fed. Now, if you were to take a little guy that 's hungry and hand him a handful of air and say eat this he would probably reply I'm still hungry but if you give him a fish and a piece of bread he can eat nobody questioned whether or not they were eating and they knew the difference they knew the difference between a hot dog and sand they knew the difference and there was at least 10,000 men alone who could have verified the fact that, yes, I had a meal on Jesus. No one ever stepped forward and said, he didn't do that. Now, my friends, that's a miracle. And that's a genuine miracle. When you go to a big tent meeting with a revivalist who who says he's, he's got the power of God and he can heal, you're not going to go there to be fed. He's not going to feed you. Now, if that man said, okay, I have a loaf of bread and a, and a package of bologna and we'll feed this crowd of 20,000 people, that'd be something else, but he doesn't do that. You, when, he, when you come to a revival meeting of the charlatans, you don't come empty handed. He doesn't want you there hungry. He wants you there with pockets full of money. Jesus never asked for a dime. Never. There's a difference in that. Jesus never enjoyed a profit from what he did. Never. He never enjoyed a notoriety from what he did. Matter of fact, he tried to avoid the notoriety. He did, and he didn't send a, a, a team ahead of him to whip the crowd up before he came to town. When Jesus came to town, he came with people following him, not an advanced team ahead of him getting people ready for his presence. That didn't happen. You can tell the difference. Just common sense tells you the difference between Jesus as a miracle worker and the frauds that have arisen that have tried to dupe you into believing that they can work miracles. They want you to come. They want to benefit from, from it. They live in big houses. And when they get through with what they call their healing, they don't want it examined. They don't want anybody to question whether or not it happened. And before you leave, they would like for you to make a donation. Jesus never made a collection after his healing campaign. Never. There is a difference, a vast difference in the miracles in the Bible and the miracles that so-called miracles are fraudulent efforts that you see going on today Jesus actually performed miracles he healed them all now i have some text that i want you to think about with me to see why he did it the the miracles appeared in history for a reason god had a purpose for the miracles And one of the purposes that I've mentioned in this series that we've been talking about is that Jesus performed the miracles of healing in order for us to understand that we were sick in a disease called sin. Now, we we, we should look at some of the incidents that took place during the life of Jesus involving miracles and see some things that are very interesting. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40 through 45, Jesus had confronted a leper, and the leper had come to him and asked to be healed. Now, I'm not sure that I understand all there is to know about leprosy, and I'm not sure that even our medical professionals know everything there is to know about what was called leprosy in the Bible. But it was a contagious, infectious disease that seemed to escape the ability of being cured. So, this leper came to Jesus and he said, He said, heal me. he asked him to heal me, please. And he, he, he was begging the Lord, and the Lord healed him. And then the Lord said, But don't say anything about it to anybody. Have, have, you, ever, have you ever thought about that? After Jesus finished talking and healing, he would tell them, don't keep your mouth shut don't say anything to anybody about it now look at some of the televangelists if they think they have healed somebody or made someone throw away their crutches or healed some unseen cancer in someone they want want them to go around and tell everybody what they've done what did Jesus say here's the difference he said keep your mouth shut don't tell anybody you know what happened it said he left, the leper left, and he went about publishing it and went about blazing it abroad, insomuch that Jesus could no more enter openly into the city but went out into the desert places. Jesus went out alone. He was not looking for notoriety. He was not looking for fame. He went out and tried to get away from the crowd. In Mark chapter 7, verse 31 through 37, after healing a man who couldn't hear or speak, you know, if, if you're deaf, if you, if you, for some reason, have the, have the disability of being hard of hearing and actually lose your hearing, if you lose your hearing, eventually you'll lose the ability to speak. So you not only are deaf... But you cannot speak as well because you can't hear what you're saying. You, you, you can hear your own voice when you can hear, and you know how to form words, but, but when, you, when you lose your ability to speak, then you lose your ability to form those words. But he, he healed this guy who couldn't hear and speak, and then, he, and then he said, he charged them, don't tell anybody. Now here's a guy that <laughs> couldn't talk. And now Jesus said, now don't go tell anybody what I've done. Well, this guy's going to tell everybody. You know he is. But Jesus, that's, that's not what Jesus wanted. And it says the more he charged them, the more, the great deal they published it. Well, he's saying don't go publish it. And they went and published it. In Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26, Jesus was at Bethsaida. And he brought a blind man to Jesus to be touched. And here's what Jesus did. If you can imagine in our situation today, Jesus spit on his eyes. Put spittle on his eyes. Now we're told don't even shake hands. But Jesus put spit on the, on the guy's eyes. And he took a hold of him so he could look up and he asked the man, what do you see? And the man said, I see men as trees walking. And then he saw clearly, and Jesus sending him away, telling him not to go to town, and don't tell anybody what's happened. That's different, isn't it? The miracles of Jesus are different. In Luke chapter 8, at verse 40 through 46, near the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was approached by Jairus to come and heal his 12-year-old daughter. The girl was sick and dying. Before he got to the ruler's house, the girl died. She died. But that didn't, that didn't stop Jesus. He went on through the crowd and he took a small coterie of individuals, Peter, James, and John, and his parents, and took them into that chamber where the girl was, and she was dead, and they were mocking Jesus and saying, you can't raise her. Now, You know as well as I do that there has never been another account on earth of anyone raising someone from the dead. This account was written while people were still alive who knew Jairus and knew the 12-year-old girl. Nobody ever stood up and said, Hey, this girl is in the grave. He didn't raise her. This text tells us that he raised her. Jairus never argued with that. His wife didn't argue with it. Peter, James, and John knew that it happened. And everybody else in that house knew that it happened. Nobody questioned the fact that the girl came back from the dead. The same thing happened with Lazarus. Jesus healed the brother of Mary and Martha. And his name was Lazarus in the book of John in chapter 11. No one ever questioned the fact that Lazarus was actually raised from the dead. I'm making a, a statement. And that statement for, for everyone is this. That if you don't believe the miracles that are recorded in the New Testament, and I know there are a lot of people that don't, then can you explain why no one ever raised an objection? No one. For 1800 years. No one ever said maybe he didn't really do it. Even those people during the time that Jesus was alive and they were alive ever questioned what Jesus was doing. They said some things, like in Matthew chapter 12, they said, well, he's doing it by the power of the devil. But they did not deny that he did that. And a matter of fact, when Jesus came to the city of Jerusalem and they took him into custody... The only accusation they could make toward Jesus was that he said, that, destroy this, day, this, bo- this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And they said, you can't raise the temple. They, they said he was talking about the temple in Jerusalem. It took 46 years to build this thing. You can't destroy it and raise it in three days. Well, let me, let me make a quick addendum to that. He could have if he wanted to. He could have torn the whole thing down and put it back together. Because he is God in the flesh. So that really wasn't a good argument. But Jesus was talking about his resurrection. He was talking about the fact that they would destroy his body, but his temple, but he would come back from that. And of all the miracles that Jesus did, they did not step up and say, Hey, this guy said that he could heal a leper, and he didn't do it, and we examined it, and it didn't happen. There was never an account like that. And don't you think those people were smart enough at that time to raise that kind of objection? Don't you believe that they had the same intelligence that you have? Or are we so arrogant that we can think that, hey, these are just sheep herders and basket weavers. What do they know? They knew the same thing you you and I know. I know what a dead person looks like and I know how long it takes for a person to be healed of leprosy I know a blind person when I see them and I know someone who if they're born blind and they can see, something phenomenal has happened and nobody ever stepped up and said, hey, he didn't heal this guy that's blind they they never said that why? that's the difference my friend, between a miracle and a fraud or fake or a a uh, copy of it. In John chapter 6, well, let me finish with Jairus' daughter. It says the parents were astonished when the girl came back to life. You know what Jesus told them? He said, don't go tell anybody about it. Don't tell anybody what I did. In John chapter 6, and the whole chapter of John has to do with people who followed Jesus that he had fed before. They followed him and actually crossed the sea of of Galilee, or uh, Chennareth. They crossed the sea after he had crossed, and followed him. And Jesus said, you're not following following me because you saw the miracles, but because you ate the fish. So here was a big crowd that followed Jesus because they wanted another meal, another free meal. And what Jesus did at that point was, he began to teach them why he had fed them. And he taught them that he taught them things like, I am the bread of life. He that eats my flesh will live. He that drinks my blood will live. And they didn't like that, so they went home. All but the apostles. When Jesus turned to the apostles and said, Will you go away also? They said, To whom shall we go? You only have the words of eternal life. The the disciples realized the purpose of the miracles that Jesus was performing, to some degree. In John chapter 7, the first nine verses of John, the actual brothers of Jesus, Jesus had some brothers, he had four brothers, and they chided him and said, Why don't you go up to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, so that your disciples can see the works that you do? For there is no man that does anything in secret, but he himself seeks to be known openly. They said, you're doing this so you can get some fame and fortune. Go to Jerusalem and show everybody what you can do. These were the brothers of Jesus. Jesus said, my time is not yet come. That's not why Jesus was performing miracles. Although, after Jesus rose from the dead... You know what Peter said? He said, you men of Galilee, God has raised this same Jesus whom you have crucified, that he has performed signs, wonders, and miracles that you yourselves also know. He said, you have seen these things. Now, my friend, that was one of the the evidences that Jesus was the Christ. And Peter said publicly to the people that had gathered around in Acts chapter 2, he said, this Jesus that you crucified, God has, has shown that he is the Christ by signs, wonders, miracles that you have seen personally. The difference between a miracle and a fraud, you can see personally what Jesus did and he challenged these people and not one of them stood up and said, hey, he said he fed 5,000, but I was there, nobody ate. Everybody went home hungry. Nobody stood up and said, Hey, he, he said he was gonna heal this blind guy, John chapter 10. He's gonna heal this blind guy. He said, We we even questioned his parents. He'd been blind since the time he was born. He's still blind. No, that was never said. Friends, don't you understand that when we talk about the miracles of Jesus, we're talking about actual historical events that took place and have the evidentiary facts behind them. What are the facts? Nobody questioned what he did. Paul later on was talking to Felix. Acts chapter 26, 26. And he said, this thing was not done in a corner. Talking about Jesus. He didn't do this in a corner. He did this openly. And because he did it openly... People could ver- either verify or deny that he was actually intruding into history and doing things that were impossible. I mean impossible for anybody else to do. Now the time may come when this coronavirus thing that's going through, going around, the time may come that a drug will be developed. And people are going to call it a miracle drug. A miracle drug. When, the, when Jonas Salk developed the poliomyelitis vaccine, people called that a miracle drug. When penicillin was developed, people called that a miracle drug. When the sulfa drugs came out, people called that a miracle drug. Well, it's not a miracle drug because it's, it's, it's coming about through natural processes of human intervention. But when Jesus healed a person... And he took away the physical disability that person had. That was a miracle. And people recognized it then, and we should recognize it now. The question is, why did he do it? Why did he do it? He said, don't go tell everybody about it. But we know about it. We know what he did. Now the question to me and to you is, well, why? Why did he do it? the, the the answer is of course that that uh, he did it to take away our sins. He did it in Luke chapter 18 verse 10 when when uh, he was he was talking to the individuals, the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they were questioning him about what he was doing. And he was in the home of a man by the name of Zacchaeus, who was the little guy. Remember, he crawled up in the sycamore tree. And Jesus had come down, and you can. I'm going to have dinner at your place today. But he said in chapter 18, at verse 10, he said, "The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost." That's why Jesus performed the miracles to show you that he can heal you of your malady, not leprosy, not blindness, not deafness. Not being crippled, not being lame, not being bent over. He came to save you from your sins. And he told us at the outset of his ministry, he told us that there are some things more important than our physical ailments. Did you know that? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30, he told the people there, he said, If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. Now wait a minute pluck my eye out and cast it from you for it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Cast it from you for it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. He's saying, your body is not as important as your soul. So if your body is going to cause you to stumble over me, cut the foot off. Get rid of it. If your eye is going to continue to lust after things, pluck it out and cast it away. Why? Because there's something more important in your life than your physical being, than your health and your wealth and your welfare. It is where you're going to spend eternity, either with God or... Or apart from God. Now that's what Jesus was talking about. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. There was a man in John chapter five that we find that that started out before the Jesus actually went into the city of Jerusalem in the last days. But in John chapter five, there was a there was a fellow there that was crippled for thirty eight years. Thirty eight years. And Jesus healed him, and then he cautioned him afterwards when he found him in the temple, and he said, "Behold, you are made whole; sin no more." There was the caveat: don't sin. this sin didn't put you in this situation, but he said, when he healed him, he said, Don't sin. So what we're looking at then when we, when we look at the, at the miracles of Jesus, what we're looking at is the emphasis that Jesus has upon our hearts to tell us that He has the power, He has the ability to heal us from our sins. Now, let's look in Colossians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, I would sure like for you to turn to that text with me. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you can start in Romans, Romans, Corinthians... Then when you get to Colossians in chapter three, let me read some things for you. When we talk about sin, many people think in terms of the Ten Commandments. Well, the Ten Commandments are still basically in effect, with the exception of the Sabbath commandment. The Ten Commandments have to do with with uh, there's only one God, that we're not to take the name of the Lord God in vain, that we're that we that we are to honor our father and mother that were make make no idols, no images, that were not to commit murder, that were not to steal, that were not to, not, not to bear false witness, and etc. So the Ten Commandments, nine if you will, are still in effect in our lives. But I'm going to read Colossians chapter 3. Someone says, well, just like this young fellow did in Matthew 19, Jesus came to him and he said, Lord, he said, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the commandments so so the fellow said which ones jesus said okay beast and he set forth the commandments that had to do with with his neighbor honor your father and your mother do not murder do not steal do not bear false witness do not covet so the young man said i've done all that i've done it all It is easy for someone to actually look at those commandments and say, yeah, I think I pretty well have those in hand. Now let's see. That's not all there is to sin. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. Uncleanness. Inordinate affection. Boy, we could stop right there and I could say, can you control fornication in your life? Can you keep from illicit relationships in your life? Sexual relationships? Uncleanness? Inordinate affection? He's talking about homosexuality. He's talking about people who have an inordinate affection toward those of the same sex. Evil concupiscence? That's just letting your, your, your uh, desires go unbridled. You just don't control yourself. He said uh, covetous which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in which you also walk sometimes when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy, filthy communication of your mouth, quit cussing. Lie not one to another, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after image of him that created him. I'm going to tell you, my friend, that this list of things that we're to put off cannot be done without the power of Jesus Christ. It cannot be done. You cannot quit these things unless you have some extraordinary power visited upon you by the Son of God. It can't be done. You can try. You can grapple. You can struggle. But it was not until Jesus came that he can control these things for you. That's why all of these miracles are there. Can, can God cure me of my pornography? I've been at it for 58 years, someone says. Yes, he can. But you're going to have to let him do it. He can do it. And he's demonstrated by his miracles of those physical infirmities that he can do it. He can do it. Can He cure me of my anger? Can He keep me to help me keep my anger in check? And my malice. How I feel about other people. Man, these things are something. Malice, covetousness, illicit behavior, blasphemy, filthy communication, saying the wrong things, thinking the wrong things. Yes, Jesus can. He can do that. But he can only do that if you believe he can. That's something else. Jesus has the power to change your life. And he's demonstrated through his miracles. So, what I'm saying is, if you are convinced that Jesus could perform those miracles, and I am, then you should be convinced that Jesus can take away your sins and help you get out of the old habits you had and into the new habits of righteousness. That's really the point. And we need to know how that happens. How how does that happen? How does it come about? The centurion in Capernaum, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 through 13, the centurion was a soldier, a Roman soldier, who had a hundred soldiers under him. And he was a good man. He had some goodness of God in his heart. He had a servant that was sick. And so he sent to Jesus on the behalf of his servant and said, Asked Jesus if he could heal his servant. Because he knew Jesus could heal. This man knew what a lot of college professors today deny. And that is that Jesus could heal. That he could perform a miracle. This man knew that. A soldier knew it. Common sense knew it. He knew it. And so he sent to Jesus. And, and uh, then he told Jesus, he said, Don't, you don't, even, don't bother coming to my house. Don't come to my house. Just speak the word and it will happen. Can you imagine? You're sick and desperate and dying and you send for the doctor and say, don't, don't, make, don't, don't come to my house. Don't bother yourself. Just tell me I'm well. Wow. My friend, that's power. That is power. And Jesus healed that man before he actually got there. And when he did, when he heard what the centurion said, when Jesus heard what he said, he said, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. So what power is there to heal you from your sins? Faith. There's the word. That's the key word. Faith in the one who can do it. Faith in Jesus Christ. Remember the woman in Luke chapter 8? That Jesus was on his way to heal... Jairus' daughter, 12-year-old girl. This woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. When Jesus passed by, all she wanted to do was touch the hem of His garment. Just touch Jesus. Wow. She touched the hem of His garment and all, immediately she was healed. And you know what? Why he, she was healed? Jesus said, your faith has made you whole it's your faith you believe in me and her faith healed her on his way to Jerusalem ten ten lepers saw him they didn't come to him because they, they, they couldn't approach him ten lepers saw him, Luke chapter 17 at a distance and they were crying out help us, help us, help us and Jesus told them okay Just go your way, go to the priest, show yourselves for your cleansing. And as they started out, all of a sudden their leprosy disappeared. It disappeared. Let some religious charlatan try that today. Have someone at a distance and he'll say, don't worry, you're healed. You don't have to come up to the front of the auditorium and get smacked in the forehead. All you have have to do is believe that this guy can do it. And that's what they did. They believed that Jesus could do it, and they were healed immediately. Only one of them came back, and he was a Samaritan. He was a stranger. He wasn't an Israelite. He came back, and Jesus said to him, he said, Go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Your faith has done that. There was a persistent beggar, a blind man near Jericho in Luke chapter 18, When he heard that Jesus was nearby, he cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He was blind. Jesus asked what he wanted, and he replied, I want to see. The blind man, I want to see. And he did. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Your faith did it. In John chapter 10, the blind man we referred to earlier was a young man. He was blind, and and he didn't even know Jesus. Didn't even know who he was. Jesus healed him. He could see. And then he was questioned. The Pharisees came up. You know what? They didn't deny that, that the man could see. They knew a miracle when they saw one. And I'll tell you what, friend. You can tell the difference between a miracle and a fraud. It doesn't take a lot of intelligence to see that. This man was told that he could see, and he could see. So the Pharisees came and said, Hey, who did this to you? And you know what the guy said? He said, I don't know. I don't know. And so they began to question this. So they said, okay, we're going to question his parents. What did you do wrong to cause this? Who sinned to cause this? And they said, don't ask us, ask him. And so they asked the the blind man and tried to get it out of him as to how it happened. He said, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who it is. Later, Jesus confronted him. And he asked him the question. He said, do you believe on the Son of God? And you know what the man said? He said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe? And Jesus revealed himself. Wow, here's a man that didn't even believe in him. And yet... He was healed, and then he said, I want to believe in Him. The only effective and permanent answer to sin is faith in Jesus Christ. If we want to be saved, if I want to get out of my habit of sin, if I want to rid myself of those chains that have been around me for years and years and years, if I want to clean up my language, if I want to get sober, if I want to quit doing bad things to people, if I want to quit saying bad things about people, if I want to quit my cursing, if I want to stifle my anger, I'm going to have to have some faith in Jesus Christ and say, Lord, help me. I know you can. You can help me get over this. And He will. But you know what? You have to believe that He will. Someone's going to say, well, okay. But isn't there anything else? Yes, there's something else. Jesus told the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's where you start out. Somebody else steps up and says, yeah, but that's all you have to do is just believe that he can do it. No, that's not what you... That's the silliest thing I think I've ever heard. For someone to say that I can believe in Jesus Christ, but I don't have to do what he says. That is foolish, isn't it? How can you believe in Jesus Christ and not follow his commandments? How can you do it? James chapter 2 at verse 24 says says that we're saved, we are not saved by faith only. Faith without works is dead. That means, as Paul said in in Romans chapter 6 at verse 1, he said, Shall we continue in sin that, that uh, grace may abound? God forbid. How that we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. What happens is. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you confess His name. Then you go with Him and enter into baptism and you get into Him. And guess what? He gets into you. So now you're together. You're one. Jesus Christ is in you. Now, the question you have in your mind is, He came to save me from my sins. How will it work? Let Him take control and He'll work it out for you. Well, what if I can't quit? cussing. Well, try it. Because Jesus will help you. And when he does, you can quit. How can I quit watching pornography? Let Jesus take control, by the way. Let him have the keyboard for a while. Get get off of it. Let him do it. How How can I control my emotions? Let Jesus help you do that. You know what it takes? Faith and submission to the will of Christ and say, Lord, I am willing to do what you ask me to do. God help you do that. I believe in miracles and I believe in the power of God to change people because that's what the miracles tell me can be done in my life and in yours.